to you if you want to switch on. You're, you're on. We'll just see in a minute. I am on. Yes. Good. Great. Okay, so first of all, would you tell us a little bit about yourself, yes. background, and all of that? Yes. Yep. Um, I'm the Chief Executive of Christian Concern and the Christian Legal Centre. I'm a barrister by training, by vocation. Uh, I was called to the bar in 1988 and I practiced criminal and family law for eight years at the Inner Temple in London. Is it not on? No, I'm sorry. Um, maybe I haven't. Do you want to just see if I'm switched? It is on. It is on? How are we doing? Is that that with that one? Turn. Okay. All right, very good. I'll go for this one. Um, so um, that's, uh, it was during that time that I uh, began to pioneer the student work of the Lawyers Christian Fellowship. Until that time, there'd been no outreach into law colleges. So we created that work, two of us. Um, I gave 15 hours on top of my practice at the bar. And during that time, I also began to see, this is, we're talking about the um, late 80s into the early 1990s, we began to see our laws moving away from Christian principles and precepts. And as a result of that, I began to see that there were parliamentary bills that were going against God's purposes, bills that were liberalizing the laws with regard to the protection of life, for instance, on abortion and on um, embryonic research, and also with regard to redefining, um, redefining family, redefining marriage. So we began to brief into parliament, and I realized that this was something for much more than just the lawyers that we needed to seek to awaken the church, to get the church behind this. And so Christian Concern really was born around 2005, 2006, when the, I don't know if those, there are people here that remember the Religious Hatred Bill, where our very freedom to preach the gospel was under, was under threat. So that's my, that's my professional background, yes. Right, that's lovely. You've just answered all the questions I had in mind. So yeah. that's, that's really good. J just to go back a little bit yeah. on your personal journey yeah. of faith, because yes. you shared that yesterday, yes. which was really interesting. Would you, yeah, would yeah. you share that? Yeah, well, I think that, um, you know, there's a sense in which um, I, I believe that everything in my life... Uh, in a sense, culminates to today, and that we're in this very unique, we're in a unique place today because there's one moment in our lives that we're all going to be in this room uh, together, just just us. And the, the non, none of that is an accident. And I, and I, and um, I, my story of my life, I, in a sense, I would say God was interested in us, He's interested in each one of us. I think that the, now that the various, and now both um, microphones. This is so... Ah, oh, there we are. I've got it off. We'll, t we'll, we'll forget about this one. I haven't had luck with those. No, no, no. Um, But he brings each one of us... Um, he, take, well, he, he carries each one, one of us on our life's journey. And he knows each one of us even before we were born. And I think that's the most extraordinary thing. My, my, um, my father is Italian. He was the youngest of ten. He was sent to a seminary in war-torn, post-war-torn Italy. Um, he was sent to a seminary to become a priest because that was the way in which he would get an education. Um, when he was 16, the priest gave him an amazing education, but when he was 16, he went out into a piazza. He caught the eye of a pretty woman and he said, I am no priest. <laughs> um, he then uh, became... <laughs> That's, uh, my dad's still a bit like that, you know, so 80 and the, I, 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 oh, you are a beautiful woman, he will say. He loves my, oh, my mother, my mom, my, oh, she's the most beautiful, precious woman ever in the whole world. His accent is still really strong. Uh, when I was to get married, I married a Welshman, um, and on our wedding day, he said, Andrea Rosamini Chiello, it is such a beautiful name, it is so resonant, it is so poetical, Andrea Rosa Williams. Yuck. <laughs> He wasn't so sure about that at all. But the most extraordinary thing was that he then went to become a cordon bleu chef. He was travelling around Europe with the intention of returning back to Italy. But instead he met my mum um, when she was just 15. And on their first date he said, I will never marry an Englishwoman. And one year later they were married. And the following year, um, at, eight, at the age of 17, um, I was, when she was 17, I was, I was born. The thing that was extraordinary then, that began a life partnership of really being entrepreneurial, of, put it, of really working together, working on a business together. They bought a little, uh, well, they bought their first house uh, together. 
And then they, then they bought a little guest house, and I grew up on a business. I grew up in the hotel trade, as my dad began to acquire properties on the south coast in England, in Portland, in Dorset. But the reason why I tell this story that goes back to before me being born in 1965 is really because my, we lived on a little new estate. That was our first home. I was in a caravan, when my, and then we bought our first little house. And the local Methodist church sent a bus... To, the, to this, new, this new build estate, eight, four acres. And I was one of the children that got on the bus. I was aged four. And I was taken to Sunday school, and there Mrs. Mrs. Hibbs uh, told me all about Jesus. And I fell in love with Jesus there and then. And I can't remember a moment when I have not loved Jesus. Let me say, when you, those little children go out today and for the older ones that are here today, it's so precious to be in a place like this where our children are being taught about Jesus. I'm passionate about this. So I'm saying, Sunbridge, take the minibus out and collect the children from this area because actually I'm so grateful for, for that. And then at age um, seven, Mrs. Hicks, not Mrs. Hips, Mrs. Hicks, said the next Sunday school teacher said that the best present I could ever have was a Bible and to read it every day. And I asked my mother for a Bible, and almost every day from that, that day to this, I have read my Bible. Aged eight, at home, from, uh, um, at home with chicken pox from school, I saw Crown Court on the television. Now, some of you will remember Crown Court. It was the first legal program. Today we've got suits, but actually there, before then it was, it was um, Crown Court. And I said to my mother, when I grow up, I'm going to be a barrister. And I'm never going to change my mind. And so that night, I went and I had shared bunk beds with my sister. And we had a basil brush carpet by the, on the steps, the ladder to the, on the bed. And I said my prayers on that basil brush carpet every night before I got into bed. I literally would sit down like this as a little girl. And it was, uh, God bless mum, God bless dad, God bless Sam the cat. I had a list. Amen. And then there was this prayer. And dear Lord Jesus, if it is your will... Please may I pass the 11 plus so that I can go to the grammar school so that I can become a barrister. And I prayed that prayer every single night until the Lord granted me my heart's desire. And I was one of two children that went from Portland Top Hill Junior School in Dorset, um, Peninsula, Portland's a peninsula, across to Weymouth in the mainland on a, on a bus every day to go to school. Um, age 15, I stood up at a missions conference in, in London, and this is where my childhood faith that was very strong, I can't remember a day not loving him. I can't remember, I am a sinner, I'm a wretched sinner, this I recognize, and the older I get, the kind of I get take, taken by surprise by my sin, by stuff that is in me. Um, but, the thing that is, but the thing is, I've never wanted to rebel, ever. I've never wanted to walk away from this savior that I know. And at 15, I stood up at a missions conference and I said, Lord Jesus, I am surrendered. I will follow you. I want my every moment to count. I'll go wherever you'd have me go. But please, may I still be a barrister. <laughs> and so that, in a sense, I tell that story because, because of the faithful work of a church um, like this and faithful Sunday school teachers a little girl's heart was captured, arrested, and there's a sense in which that has led to me standing in front of you today. It led to me doing, becoming a criminal and family barrister. At that point, if you told me when I was studying law in the 1980s, I went to Cardiff University, Pisa University, and then the Inns of Court School of Law in London, if you had told me during that period, in the early to mid-1980s, that um, people would lose their jobs for offering prayer, that people would lose their jobs for believing that marriage was between a man and a woman, that people would lose their jobs for referring to a, uh, a child that, that is a girl as a girl when she is identifying as a boy, I would have said, that's a, another planet. That, that can't possibly happen. This is, I had no conception of where we would be in our nation at this time. 
So that's how the law puts all things together. And perhaps just to fit, and I know it's going a little bit, a bit of extra information even from yesterday, but I won't keep us here till midnight, um, is that I was, I've got four children. My husband, we've been married for 27 years and four children. And after the third child, during, when they were small, I continued to work with the Lawyers Christian Fellowship, continuing the policy work, writing briefings during nap times. You know that kind of thing, mums? That was what I was doing. The point about it then was, I was going back after, the, after the thir our third child. I always had wanted four, but three was going to... Gareth wanted two, and this was going to be our compromise. That we thank God. I, I now say have loads of children, everyone, just loads of them. I'd, I'd love to have had even more. And um, so, But I was going back to the bar eight, with three... And um, all ready to go back, planned everything, um, and I found myself pregnant again. This was a surprise. I know how it happens, but it was a surprise. <laughs> and, um, the, and my husband said to me, this is because you're meant to stay doing what you're doing. We're now in 2002. And I knew at that moment that I was never going back to the criminal family bar but that I was going to stay almost where I, I was a bit kicking and screaming because this work was making me unpopular. Once upon a time, when I was doing straight evangelism with law students, I was really popular among, with the Christian lawyers, with, with people. But when I started to say marriage is between a man and a woman and we need to contend for that in our laws, um, even amongst Christians, I, I was, whoa, <laughs> what are you doing? And so I, I, I was running back to the bar that was my safety net. Being a, being a barrister, I had the, there was some, you don't, you don't necessarily realize these things, but you, there's a bit of kudos, you've got your, you've got, you get your money coming in, all of this stuff. And then suddenly I knew I was on this path of deep unpopularity. Um, and, but God, it, you know, it's this idea of just God bringing, bringing me to that point. Um, there's more to say, but I was, yeah, there's some more to say, but uh, there we are. Thank Stay you. There. It's nice not to be needed to ask any questions. Um, uh, yeah, if, uh, we, won't, we won't sing now. I'll hand back over to, yeah. straight over to you to give more time. Uh, have the children left or are leaving? If not, do leave <laughs> to your groups. I'll pray and then hand over to Andrea. Okay. Lord, thank you so much for Andrea that you've called her and equipped her and uh, given her as a gift to the church and to your people. And we would pray that you would bless her now Enable her by your spirit to speak clearly the things that you would have her speak. And just, Lord, may she know that sensitivity to your Holy Spirit at this time. And give us ears to hear and the ability to respond, Lord, not just to hear, but to respond to all that you want us to respond to in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Are you okay? Almost to finish the testimony story, so you've got a complete picture, um, is that um, in 2008, I was diagnosed with an aggressive breast cancer, an aggressive breast cancer, and I say this because at this point, I was, we were moving out of the Lawyers Christian Fellowship into Christian Concern and the Christian Legal Centre. They already existed, but they were going to, going to become independent. And that we'd made that move in, um, in July, and then in August, I was diagnosed with an aggressive breast cancer. The, the public policy team of the Lawyers Christian Fellowship had come with me, um, but we were just starting um, out, and I got to the third round of chemotherapy and was very sick, and there wasn't any money left in the bank. And um, I called a donor from the hospital bed and from the Royal Marsden Hospital, and I said, I can't, won't be able to make the wages at the end of this month. Um, and he didn't actually respond, so this donor didn't, didn't respond to that request from, from my hospital bed. And I remember calling the co-founders, calling the trustees together and saying, I think we've just finished a major campaign on, um, on a bill, the Human Fertilization Embryology Act. Um, I've got cancer. There's no money. Um, I, think it's, I think God's giving me permission to stop. And they all said, no, he isn't. And we're going to continue... Um, until there really is no money in the bank. And I'm standing here, yes? I'm standing here now with a staff of 25 consultants, um, still a work of faith, 
Um, still extraordinary how um, God provides for us to do our cases uh, week in, week out, year in, year out. An incredible work of faith. And I'm telling you that story again because this is not my, this is not what I'm going to, what I'm going to present to you today. This is not um, about me. It's about a person being faithful. But this is God. This is you should see how this I can never claim this as my own. I can't claim God knowing me from before I was born and, and choosing this path. I can't claim any of this for my own. I can't claim that this is in my strength. That suddenly, brilliant, I'm a, this brilliant lawyer that can suddenly do this and 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 have the eyes to see. No, there was no money in the bank. I was sick with cancer, and it's by His grace I'm standing here today. And since that time as well, two more threats uh, uh, of cancer, more radical surgery. But I'm still standing here today by God's grace. And um, so I think that's what, so I want to, that this is the, Jesus Christ is enough. Did we not sing about that? Christ is enough. He is enough. He is all sufficient. We've got eternity to look forward to. And actually, as a church in Great Britain, do we really believe that we've got eternity to look forward to? Do we really believe that our neighbours, the entire salvation, that our whether or not our neighbour goes to heaven or hell matters? Do we love Jesus so much that when we step out of this place today and go to our work, uh, throughout the week, when we go and live out our life in our, in, 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 our, in our families and so on, do we really believe that heaven and hell depends on it? Because that's how important the gospel truth is. And I think sometimes it's as if the church doesn't feel any urgency about that. My heart breaks for a lost Bradford. I'm delighted that you're here. And I have to say, Bradford's a lot, a lot nicer than I thought it was. Sorry, Bradford. But you know, kind of got an impression. I'm, I'm quite enjoying myself here in Bradford. And her, that lovely lady, lady who made me the best cup of tea I think I've ever had in my life. This one, I that was Yorkshire tea or something. Yeah, it was strong, little bit of milk. I loved it. I love that. It was just the most fantastic. Because I don't even really like tea that much, but I wanted a cup of tea, and it was the best cup of tea I've ever had. So um, let's think. Um, let's bring the. Let's think about this. I'm going to talk, going to talk to you this morning about the state. Uh, of our nation. We're thinking about that on Remembrance Sunday. Isn't that interesting? Remembrance Sunday. Um, Armistice Day on the 11th of November, but it's Remembrance Sunday because back in 1918, we would have been a nation that would have remembered on Sunday. There would have been, in our national character, a sense that when something important occurs, we would go to church, we would market at church, we would pray, we would seek God. There's a sense in which when our soldiers went to war and prepared to give their lives, this was honour and duty and sacrifice. These are Christian virtues. These are virtues that were known, that were breathed into the character of being British, of our nation, of our great nation. And there is a sense in which it demonstrates how much of that we have actually lost. At Christian Concern, we believe, we, we proclaim that the gospel is actually public truth, not just for the United Kingdom, but for all nations, and yes, Jesus isn't just enough. He's king. He is Lord of all. And that one day, every knee shall bow. And actually, his name deserves to be in the public discourse. And what we have done as a church is that we've allowed his name to be removed from the public discourse. Do we not think that in 1918, Jesus Christ was firmly in the act of remembrance? But we have allowed him to be removed. And we have bought into this false notion that the public square is somehow neutral and that lots of different ideas can compete in, in public and that Christianity is just one idea amongst many with equal validity. No, 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 no. 
Jesus is king. He is Lord of all. And actually, he's the Lord of nations. And Psalm 2, in his hand, kings rise up and they fall down. In a moment, things can change with God. Do we as his church believe that? Do we believe that? Are we like those ladies of, um, on the Isle of Lewis? Do we believe that if we humbly bow our knee, that if we cry out to him, Bradford will turn around? Do we believe that our nation will turn around? Well, I actually think that the people here in Sunbridge might. But generally, as a corporate witness in the, across this nation, I don't think that's the kind of church we're seeing. I think we're a lukewarm church. I think we're kowtowed. I think we've lost our confidence in the gospel. And you know, the in the gospel, there is power. Power to change people, power to change families, power to change uh, nations. Let's look at the coronation oath. Um, the queen came to the throne over 60 years ago now. And during, and this is again a little bit like the act of remembrance. And so I'm just trying to just give us an idea of what our nation is. And this is a big picture of it. On the coronation oath, the, the Archbishop of Canterbury presents a Bible to the Queen. She, and he asks her this, will you, to the utmost of your power, maintain the laws of God and the true profession of the gospel? All this I promise to do. She's then presented with the Bible. And the Archbishop says these words, our gracious Queen, to keep your majesty ever mindful of the law and the gospel, the gospel of God, as the rule for what? For the whole of life. There's no privatizing of the faith here. There's no individualism about the faith here. It's actually about the rule for the whole of life and government. You know, Jesus is king of the government. Uh, of Christian principles. We say so in the coronation service. This is part of our long and glorious heritage. Not, it's not perfect, our heritage, but it's long and glorious. We are the nation that took education and parliamentary systems and good business systems across the globe, across the, to the common, Commonwealth, all of these places. Not perfect, nothing this side of heaven is going to be perfect, but actually, with the gospel, with a Christian framework, we saw true freedom. We, saw no co we didn't see coercion. You want to see what a Christian society looks like? Well, it's more like what Christian has been. I'm not about always looking back, because I think we've got to look to the future and what God wants to do in this, nature, go, this nation going forward, revitalization, revival. But actually, you know, we, we are, the health of a nation is, about, is reflected on the health of the church, what the church cares about. You want to see what an Islam society looks like? Look at Saudi Arabia. Look at Iran. Look at Iraq. You want to see what a society looks like that's forgotten God and wants new God? Look at Great Britain. That's what we're like. That's what it's like. So our gracious queen, to keep your majesty ever mindful of the law and the gospel of God as the rule for the whole life and government of Christian princes, we present you with this book. The most valuable thing that the world affords. And the moderator continues. This is the royal law. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles. That's the living. It's the living word. The living truth. The living, lively oracles of God. We used to have Christian assemblies in school unashamedly, unabashedly Christian. I used to sing all things bright and beautiful, morning has broken at school, unashamedly, unabashedly Christian. Parliament used to start with Christian prayers every morning. The, the legal year used to start with a service of dedication. Matrons, when they handed over shifts, would hand the Bible from one matron to the next because our education system, our hospitals, were founded by Christians. We surrendered them to the state. And the state ripped out the lively oracles of God. And the state says, we know how to do it. We don't submit to these lively oracles. So what has happened since the queen came to the throne? Well, when the queen came to the throne, abortion was illegal. 
When the Queen came to the throne, 4.8% of babies were born outside of marriage. The figure is now 46.8. When the Queen came to the throne, there were 349,000 marriages in 1952 with a population of 50 million. Today, with 15 million more people in our population, there are 241,000 marriages every year. Um, in 1952, divorce was rare, affecting 33,000 couples, 34,000 couples. Today's statistics every year are about 120,000 couples are affected by divorce. This is a massive cultural change. Um, and as I said, I was born in 1965, so what I want, um, so I kind of want to act as a visual aid. Um, because things can change very quickly. I mean, life passes very fast. Um, but, and I think that's actually part of the hope, therefore. If things can go one way so fast, do we not, know, do we not believe that with the power that is of the gospel, that same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that atoned for our sin, do we not believe that if we cry out, if we cry out next week here in Bradford in our week of prayer, if we cry out to God, we do, do we not, do we, he is not absent, he is not distant. He only needs a few, he only needs two old ladies. He only needs a few. And we have to believe that there are enough people ready to cry. I look at this room, there are enough people in this room to turn around Bradford through Jesus Christ. By, the power, by his power. We do not have to be defeatist. We have the good news. The gospel is good news. And we don't have to kowtow um, to the fear that we feel all around us. We're all scared of speaking about Jesus. Well, I'm not sure. I'm, well, I, I, I get scared. <laughs> I think lots of Christians are scared. Not everyone here is, not, I can't say that everyone here is scared. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? Just got the clue, those are the... Christ dying. Christ being raised. Good news. Eternal life, yeah, it is eternal life. All right. I'm going to say that the gospel is actually about the whole of life. All right? And I'm actually going to look at when God said, let us, Jesus was present. Um, the word, you know, that we read, uh, the word was, that was made flesh, it was present at the beginning of time at creation. God made us in his image. He made us male and female, and God saw that every, note he made us male and female, and he saw that everything he had made was very good. What have we done with that? In Romans 1, it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been made, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Isn't that interesting? That creation makes in us um, such that his eternal power can be seen. For although they knew God... They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and mammals and reptiles. And therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. And even the women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. And men abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Is that where we are in our society today? Yeah? What have we idolized? We've idolized the body. We've idolized youthfulness. We've, um, sexual freedom of the 1960s didn't free women. It's ended up objectifying um, women, for instance. We, um, we idolise bodies, we idolise sex. And actually, we've, where do we end up? Handed over, it's very serious. Blinded and handed over. 
We suppress the truth. That's what we do at the beginning. Then we exchange the truth for a lie. We basically then worship and serve the lie. We practice it. And then we approve of that in, part, in, in, in law. So we say, we approve of sinful behavior. We approve of um, adultery. We approve of homosexual practice we we approve of all of these things in law and if you don't approve if you don't see that as a good if you don't see that as a good you'll be punished we'll take you out do you see have you followed me but then what, what what does paul exhort us to in romans he says for i'm not ashamed of the gospel for the gospel is what it's the righteousness of God. It's not just Jesus loves me, Jesus has forgiven me for my sin, and I'm happy. And that's my truth. Oh, and you believe that truth, and you believe that truth. No, it's actually, no, it, it's a claim on us. It's actually about the gospel. It's the righteousness of God. We often hear from the... Um, LGBT Christian movement saying, well, God, is, is the gospel is all about love. It's all about love. And it is about love, but it's about right, love is righteousness. It's about love and truth. It's about the true defining of love. A savior that would lay down his life for us to reconcile us to God because of our sin. This is, they don't define love. What they're talking about very often is that they want to be given permission to act out lustfully. For the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, and we're told to live by faith. Martin Luther said this, If I profess with the loudest voice and clearest exposition every portion of the word of God, except precisely that little point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, I am not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing him. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. And to be steady on all the battle fronts besides is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. Where do we think the gospel is particularly under attack in our nation today? Give me some examples. Schools? Media? What truths are under attack? Sorry? Marriage? Everything. <laughs> Jesus. Yes. The, unique, the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. That's number three. Marriage is number two. Life. The protection of life being made in God's image. This, these are actually, don't let anyone tell you that these are secondary gospel issues. You know, that actually all that matters is that we kind of sort your sin out and then somehow we'll, you'll, you'll get to the rest. This is sort of something that you deal with in the background. No, 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 no. This is the righteousness of God. This is where the gospel is under attack in our nation. This um, is where we could shine the light of truth and beauty and restoration and forgiveness and hope because it's this stuff that makes us very sick. It's this thing. It's this that will turn us round as a church if we cry out to God because of what has happened as a result of not living righteously with regard to these matters. So these are tough subjects and we actually rarely heard the, hear them talked about from, from here. In our churches, but they're primary gospel issues. So the Abortion Act, 1967. I was two years, uh, two years of, uh, of age. Um, I sometimes think of that, you know, an Italian waiter, a 16-year-old woman, you know, pregnant with me. Wouldn't you know? Imagine what? Imagine if it was a similar situation in 2017. Just. I do think about that sometimes because my parents weren't Christian. They are now, we thank God. That, through that, also through the Sunday school teachers, my sister and my brother and my parents became Christians, yes, through that whole thing, you know, which the family is restored to Christ. But the, the point, the, the, the thing is, my parents wouldn't have been Christians and they wouldn't have felt the pressure to get married. They wouldn't have felt the pressure, they, you know, all of these things 
that well I say just you know we're not we're, soci we're not societal norms they were norms um, so the abortion act um, allowed for abortion in certain so abortion is illegal it's still the, Unless the mum's life is at risk, the risk of physical or mental problems to the child are greater if, they, if the woman continues with the pregnancy or there exists a substantial chance that the child will suffer from severe physical or mental abnormalities. And two doctors have to sign off on one of those reasons. Today, abortions occur because the two doctors sign off saying that the mother's mental health will be worse if she continues with the pregnancy. This, of course, is something that's false, actually. Um, because of the speed that I have to go through these slides now to get through this material, I want you to hear Know My Heart, which is a heart full of love and compassion. And I'd love to build stories around this, and because actually, uh, but I'm going to be just giving you lots of hard statistics, okay? Um, but know that my heart is full of love. Know that the woman in an unplanned pregnancy... Um, is known and loved by the Lord, that the woman who's had an abortion, the statistics show that one in three of us um, have had an abortion. So there may well be women here that have had abortions or grandparents of, of children. And, and what we've got to say there is there is love and forgiveness and restoration. Okay? So this is really an important thing to say. But when the Act was passed, it was supposed to be just a few, a few tens. You go back and read the parliamentary record, just a few tens of abortions every year to stop backstreet abortions. All right, that's what backstreet abortions. The first year there were 21,000. These are government statistics. And then by the year 2,200,000 um, aborted babies, now every year about 210,000 abortions. Bradford is about 500,000, I was told yesterday, 450, 500,000. That's half the population of Bradford being wiped out every year. In the First World War, the UK citizens that were lost were 900,000, um, and in the Second World War, um, it was about 600,000. All right? And we're remembering them today, rightly. And, of course, many millions were lost across the globe. But I'm, we're remembering our soldiers rightly. But look at the difference, in, look at the statistics. Do we remember the unborn babies? On October the 27th, it was the passing of the 50th anniversary of the Abortion Act. And since that time, almost 9 million abortions have taken place in this nation. That is a silent holocaust. You know that revolution, that cultural revolution I talked about from the Queen's coronation? It's been very bloody and legal. You see... Thing, this is you know this is you know atrocities can happen by law. No truth line stands alone, so we don't we 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 no longer protect absolutely the life of the unborn child, the unborn person. Remember, God knows us even before we were conceived. The we then moved to uh, reproductive technologies. 1978, you have the first test tube baby, Louise Brown. So for the first time, you have the possibility of creating life in a laboratory. So you remove the act of sexual union of one man and one woman to create a life. You make this now possible in a laboratory, all right? We then moved to 1990 where you have the Human Fertilization and Embryology Act of 1990, where for the first time we're allowed to create embryos because we can. Science gets us there. With the express purpose of experimenting upon them and then destroying them within 14 days. We then, so you're now making life to destroy life. Then in 2004 we have the first license to clone a human embryo. We tried to resist it, we failed at the Christian Legal Centre. What is cloning? It's man making man in the image of man. You go from taking a life 1967 to making a life 1978 to faking a life 2004. Then we get to the Human Fertilization and Embryology Act of 2008, where uh, in law again, lawfully, we, in Parliament, we pass an act that permits the creation of animal-human hybrid embryos. This is the mixing of cow's eggs with human sperm. 
That is defacing God's Genesis 1 being made in the image of God. We have a bill which allows us to create a bank of embryos because we now can and select the embryo that we hope will save a sick older sibling. We always want to save a sick older sibling. But what happens to the embryos that don't, that don't match? They're destroyed. They're frozen or destroyed. We do not know. There are no figures. The nine million is the aborted babies. We have no figures for the, how, the embryos that have been destroyed. For the lives that have been destroyed. It's not potential lives, it's lives of potential. We've got no idea of those figures in our nation at this time. Also now the possibility of three parent embryos, so the genetic DNA at the moment of two women, um, two mums um, on an ensuing child. That's serious because if we now have the technology to do that, what we're going to see is probably this not done just for medical purposes, but also for same-sex couples that want to have the genetic DNA in a child. But this is experimenting on the human race, on the face of the human race, because we don't know what is going to happen to those children. Because you're literally interfering with the gene line, with the DNA. It takes us right out on a limb from the scientific community in the world. The scientific community here likes to be, wants to be the world leaders. This has cost a lot of money. Lots of it doesn't work. There's been lots of destruction of life. This has been a very bloody revolution. This is where we can end up because we now can end up here. Uh, we've now, this is becoming more common. This was the first person to do this. We've now, we've heard in the last week also of um, uh, developing wombs, in womb, in womb transplants, for, so that men can possibly carry this is this is, is it's still being talked about at this stage but that was in the news this week so this is a woman who began identifying as a man uh, took um took all the hormones then decided that she wanted to have a baby with her partner got pregnant via a sperm donation on facebook literally um she then has the baby is going to breastfeed the baby is going to return to looking like a man and then she's going to raise the child as the father and her partner's going to be the mother Welcome to the Western world. Welcome to Great Britain 2017. This is a complete defacing of complementarity, male and female, living in righteousness. What about the baby? Actually, not, not, it's not just about the baby. It's about Evan too. It's about, it's about everyone. This is just messed up. Who can, who can, who can rescue us from this mess? Who? Jesus. Who can rescue Hollywood and, I mean, that, that is Romans 1, you know, the kind of, it, it's just a complete crash, yeah? Who can rescue, you know, the, our, the parliament, all of, all of this horrible, doesn't it make you sick? Don't you just feel, aren't you sick and tired of hearing about it all? Do you just not want to run away to purity and goodness and beauty and wholeness? Do you not want our kids to be able to do that, you know? Do you just not want to hear about any of it anymore? Fix your eyes on Jesus, on purity. Seek to pick these pictures of aborted babies. We see many turnarounds with people outside abortion clinics. Pictures of aborted babies. This is 11-week-old. Um, people charged with causing harassment, alarm, and distress. It took 18 months before they came to trial. They were acquitted because these pictures are for real. Again, what you see is groups wanting to hide these pictures away. If we can't look at it, if it's too bad to look at, then why is, why is it legal? People want to sanitize it. People want to say this is just a clump of cells. If it's legal, then um, we need to be able um, to look at it and to face it. Babies aborted because they're female. Crown Prosecution Service said that it was not in the public interest to, pros uh, to prosecute the doctors who were prepared to carry out abortions on babies just because they were female. So we sought to bring a private prosecution. This is Ashton Hubert. She's just 19 when she started this. Um, believes passionately um, in, uh, in rescuing the unborn child. She was, um, they came after her for 47,000 pounds of costs. Um, now we at Christian Eagle Center, we, we work pro bono. We never charge our clients any money at all. We face the costs with them against, that come against them as well. But what I wanted to do in making 
literally the government, it was, well, it was the, the, the prosecutors, these doctors came after her for their fees. So the doctors that were prepared to carry out the abortions were invited by the judge to, um, to ask for their legal fees against her. Because he said, she's just a straw man for the Christian Legal Centre, which she definitely isn't. But the point about it was all, they want to take you out because they want to frighten you with money, with costs. But God's no man's debtor. We raise those funds for Ashling. Uh, bills in Parliament to abortion now for abortion to be decriminalised and for abortion up to birth. And this has been passed, but it fell because we had a, a, a snap election. Um, but this is something that's on the cards in Parliament an abortion up to birth. Children survive at 22, 23 weeks. And also the continual threat of legalizing assisted suicide. I'm not going to go into that in great detail, but learn from the abortion lesson. The generation that killed its children will be killed by its children. So back to the 1960s, sexual revolution, the pill, suddenly sex became not something you waited for, not something just within marriage, but it became recreational. All the kind of seeming, this old-fashioned, all of the rules were blown away. So you get a rise in cohabitation. Uh, you then get um, uh, the um, concept of irretrievable breakdown, the no-fault divorce. So suddenly marriage and divorce becomes a lot easier. Cohabitation becomes an accepted norm. Um, isn't it interesting that old phrase living in sin um, for people that were living together that weren't married I mean but it's just quite interesting isn't it I mean I remember that that phase but actually no one would say talk about living in sin would they today yeah it's just quite it's just quite interesting isn't it how we how we change how how a whole of a society changes you get a, a rise in pornography because the more you have the more you have sex with people that you're not committed to and the more partners you have, the more empty it becomes, right? You know? And so um, then you get the rise in pornography. This is from 2015, a premier radio. So 30% of church leaders access porn. 42% of Christian men say they've got porn addiction. 75% um, of men say they view pornography on a monthly or less regular basis. This is a shocking statistic. Even if it's half true, it makes me very, very sad indeed. We have to get our act Together, I mean, pornography is on your phone, isn't it? You don't have to go to a, a store anymore and go and find a, a magazine. It's actually everywhere. We've got soft porn advertising cereals. Soft porn in the gym. Every time you go to the gym and you're looking at the music videos, that's soft porn. And 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 even and we in the church, we don't even we we don't we just even accept, we accept it. But it's not good, and it's not good for our children. It's, and, and it's, not, it's, it's just not good. We have to count. We have to do a counter-revolution, a purity revolution. And it's, we've got to train our children. And you know what? Not just our children. I want to go and collect all the others. I want to get out in the bus. If I weren't doing this, that's what I'd be doing. I'd be going out in my bus. And I'd be collecting the children. Because actually, it's training them from the beginning. And keeping them safe. And you don't want to put them into schools where they're going to be propagandized the wrong way. So you get the Adoption Act, uh, um, Gender Recognition Act. Now what you have is a situation where um, it's not just, you know, they've always said gay rights is just about my individual rights. Not about individual rights at all. It's about the wholesale redefining of family. So now what you have in law is this. Two men, two women, a man and a woman, um, living together or married. These men can also be in civil part. Men and women can be in civil partnerships or married. Now, they can all have children, either by naturally, if they can, or by fostering or adopting, or by surrogacy or by donor sperm. So every one of these units is now a family according to English law, and everyone is, a, and they're all it's all equivalent. And so suddenly our whole notion of what family is, is changed in law. And if you don't accept it, you can be punished. So 
David Cameron says, because he's a conservative, this is what he's going to legislate for. But worse is the Archbishop of Canterbury, who says that it's clearly essential that stable and faithful same-sex relationships should, where those involved want it, be recognised and supported with as much dignity and the same legal effect as marriage. When the church cannot be clear, when a person in this position, but you know, it's not just the Archbishop of Canterbury, it's all the church leaders. It's, it's, it, as in, it's, where, where are the church, sorry, it's not all the church leaders, but where are the church networks? Where are the free church networks? Where, where are we? Where's the Baptists? Where are the Baptists? Where are the Methodists? Long gone, the Methodists who brought me to faith. Nick Clegg, Deputy Prime Minister at the time, said, it's all going to just become very normal very soon. And yes, it is. These are books that are recommended on the primary school curriculum. Asher's Mum and Tango Makes Thing. Three, Heather Has Two Mummies, Jack and Jing. Recommend, if you've got children in primary school, you need to be very work concerned. And you need to be asking what it is that they're reading to your children. And you need to go in en masse if possible. Because actually everyone's just swallowing this and parents get scared. You know, I'm, I'm increased, if we can't be of great influ influence for our children in the schools, because you're handing them over to this. This is what's going to cultivate them and mould them. And actually to deprogram them, well, even an hour of Sunday school is not going to deprogram them from a Monday to Friday in school. And I'm saying we've got to keep our kids safe. So I'm getting increasingly passionate if we can't be in the state sector, as it were, unless we're there really influencing it somehow. If, you're local, if you've got it in a local school and there are lots of you in there really, really influencing it and stopping, yes, I say stopping this stuff, then you need to think about, we need to think again. We need to think about, I don't say plant churches, I say plant schools. There are loads of Christians, I'd say, you know, that's the, plant schools. Because we'll be an amazing school. When the children walk through the, 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 the door, God made you. You're made in this image. Wow. <laughs> He's got a purpose for you. Wow. You're going to be pure. You're going to be a noble man. And you're going to wait. And you're going to honor your wife. Wow. <laughs> yeah. What else? What more else? What? They've got to learn some maths and English. But what else do children need? This is it. Dancers jumping, music pumping, loving kisses, so delicious. And then, after homosexuality, comes transgenderism. And in the prime school, my princess boy loves his dad. His dad tells my princess boy how pretty he looks in a dress. His dad holds his hand and tells him to twirl. My princess boy smiles and hugs his dad. And we're dealing with 10 schools where six, seven, and eight-year-olds are boys, um, are going to school as girls, dressed in dresses, as princess boys, but they're girls. They're being identified as girls. We're talking about six-year-olds. Go and meet a six-year-old after this. And all of the school policies are being changed. And you dare, you dare, as a teacher or a parent, to question it, and you're punished, you're ostracized, and you're put out in the cold. These are our cases. They're for real. We're giving puberty suppressants to teenage children, to prepubescent pre pre children. It's really serious. It means chemical castration. It, mean, it affects their fertility. It's, a, it's an experiment. It's a social experiment. It's a fad. It's really dangerous. We should actually be helping these children with their gender identity disorder. The kind and compassionate thing is not to say, you don't say to an anorexic, I really think you should only eat lettuce today. I think you're fat. You know, you don't say that to an anorexic because they can't see their body, right? You really work very hard to get good nutrients into their body. If a little, if a boy says, uh, if a teenage boy says, I'm a girl, you work very hard with, and you work with them through puberty to see that they really are a boy. You work very, and very often with um, trans, trans, transsexualism, what you have is a lot of other things going on. Uh, you know, you have, so you have perhaps um, autism or depression. A number of other factors are going on with, with, with the children in these circumstances. Last year, we actually, um, a, a school was making the parents call, said they would take the child away. Social services said they'd take the child away unless they called the child by the proper name. 
but, but sorry, by the by the the name, the gender, and the child's new name that they wanted to identify in as the opposite gender. We got that child treatment in America. That child, um, Bethany, is now still safely at home and has come through the confusion and is living as Bethany. This is a success. But, you know, imagine if we hadn't been there. Imagine all, and in fact, there are lots of children where we're not there. And imagine if those parents hadn't been Christian. And so where does this all lead? Well, to, this is today's case. Go and buy... Um, you may not want to buy on a Sunday, but the, the mail on Sunday today, we've got a, this is our case. I've been dealing with this case since midnight last night and then seven o'clock this morning. Um, this, um, this is a teacher, a maths teacher in Oxford. Um, he, um, the, first, the reason why we got involved with him because he had a Bible club of 100 students that the headmaster stopped. The LGBT SOC goes, the, uh, the mindfulness session goes, but he... Um, was not allowed to do his Bible club. But then recently, um, he misgendered a 14-year-old um, a child, a 14-year-old child that was identifying, a girl who was identifying as a boy. And this, this child was working, this pupil, this student, was working in a group of girls, and he said, well done, girls. He's been taking, really, he's been taking care to refer to her by her chosen name. All right? So he's been really careful not to refer to her as he or she, but by her chosen name. He said, well done, girls. She said, I'm not a girl. So he said, I'm, he said, I'm, I'm sorry if I've upset you. And it all passed. And then there was a parents' evening, and his parents, her parents got angry, reported him to the school, reported him, and, he kept, and he's, and he's and suspend, and he's also been suspended. He's been put, it's like he's been put in detention yeah, the headmaster said, "You've got to come into school. You're not to do your lessons. You are to sit in the you're to sit in the uh, staff room and prepare your lessons, but you're not to do the lessons." And that's been happening to him for the last ten days, and he's due to have a disciplinary on Wednesday. So this is the lovely Joshua Sutcliffe. Pray for him. Pray for us. Uh, we may be on this morning. He may be on this morning, Britain tomorrow, and probably another number of other media appearances but we need to pray that the gospel goes out that he comes across that he's articulate pray please remember him um that he's articulate that he's winsome and that we actually show that he cares he's kind and compassionate um because he really is kind and compassionate there's a little aside to all of this he's worked really hard with this this young lady this young woman um and her maths results have gone from kind of nowhere to really good And this is the parents, Nigel and Sally Rowe. You may have seen them in the press a few weeks ago where that's the six-year-old and an eight-year-old in the school because you see um, are identifying in the opposite gender. They sought to work with the school. They were doing assemblies in school. They've removed their children from the school. Can you see this? That actually parents that want to, that, that love, they love these children. They love them all. And these children are really confused because they've always known the children as John and, John and Jeffrey. And suddenly they become Jane and Janine. And so, you know, and, and the people that are being punished, are Nigel and Sally Rowe, they're the ones that are pushed out. And the whole school, the whole school now has become a, a LGBT school, pride of place in the Isle of, Isle of, Isle of Wight, transgender stuff, uh, uh, pride floats. Street preachers are being arrested on the streets. Prison chaplains are being told that certain verses in the Bible are inappropriate for the vulnerable class of prisoners. This is a sex offender's prison. A sex offender complained about the preaching and Barry was removed. Counselor said he might have a conscientious objection to giving sex therapy to two men. He was dismissed for gross misconduct for having that thought. He never refused to give any service. Um, Counselors having their certification removed because they believe that people can move away from unwanted same-sex attraction. Our Wilberforce Academy, which we run for young people, if you've got any young people here, university age, just above university age, we would really love you to come and join us um, for our week-long program, which runs every September. My colleague, Andrew Bobo, is, is with me, and he's, got a, he's, he's, he's out there. By the way, you've got, there are some packs that you can pick up and a few materials left after yesterday. 
We'd love to completely empty our stool and we'd love to begin a relationship with you. And the way in which is to do that is to leave us your name and your email. And then we can give you the update on just you. We can ask you to pray about these things, tell you about what's happening in Parliament. But actually it's about creating a movement that speaks of Jesus Christ at the heart of public life. Uh, Felix Nagole, social work student, posted on his Facebook in the Facebook conversation that marriage was between a man and a woman. And um, he was told... It was said that future service users of the social work profession um, might, be, uh, might think he would discriminate. So for holding that position, as a student, he's been um, removed from his social work course. So now, actually access to the professions. You see, it's a bar to office. If you get asked a question in an interview and you ask, get, answer it honestly, you're barred from, if you think the marriage is between a man and a woman and don't think that it's, and actually say that, no, it cannot be between two men or children need a mother and a father. If you say any of these things as an opinion, you're barred from, you, you could potentially be barred from teaching. How are you going to deliver the PSHE if you're a teacher? How are you going to deliver sex ed in the state schools or in, in, in any school today? And if you're a social worker, unless you comply to the equalities policy, well, you know the thing about this, 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 these equality policies, they're very unequal, they're very intolerant, and they're very illiberal, okay? And actually what they want is not just tolerance. They don't want an equal right. They want approval. See, it's, it's actually about you will accept this. Children can have two months, and you will accept this. And if you don't, you're, you're punished. It's not tolerant at all. It's deeply intolerant in a way that Christianity, which is non-coercive, never can be. We're on 10 past 12. I'm running out of time. So the regist uh, civil registrars lose their jobs. Adoption doctors lose their jobs. Magistrates lose their jobs for saying children do best with a mother and a father. Politicians removed from their parties for saying marriages between a man and a woman. Adoption agencies closed because they believe they want to place children with mums and dads. All our cases. Uh, remove your purity ring. Um, it's a health hazard whilst giving out morning after pills to girls in the school. A teacher um, who said that, ma that God wouldn't approve of a same-sex marriage, sacked for gross misconduct. Remove that Facebook post, to teach, otherwise we'll remove your position as a teacher. Do not offer prayer. Nurse Petri, sat, uh, suspended for gross misconduct for offering prayer. Teacher, sacked for gross misconduct. Olive Jones, for um, offering to pray with a student. Remove that cross from your electrician's van, Colin, because it may offend Muslims in your area. Doctor, um, disciplined for talking about Jesus. Celestina Mabar, um, uh, you, you will work on a Sunday despite an agreement not to. Remove that cross. It isn't a Christian symbol, says the government, it says the government in our nation. And of course, what you, so what you have is hard atheism, which now punishes the Christian in the public space. And then rising on the other side is a religion that understands itself very well, uh, Islam. And you know what? Because the father of both of them is the same, the devil, you have hard secularism and hard atheism, and they tolerate one another. And they both can't stand Christianity, even though look how weak we look. You all look very beautiful, but to be honest, to take this beast on that we've got, you know, we, we look a bit weak. But it's us that they can't stand. It's, look at her. I mean, she's just beautiful. But they can't, they couldn't stand her. And so what we see, and I'm going to do this... I'm going to be finished in f within five minutes because I'm late. Bradford, 27% of the population. Mohammed is the f number one name in, um, in Britain. Um, Islamic education. Isla Islam money in our, in, our, in our universities, which means that we can't um, critique Islam. Churches converting to mosques. Halal food served everywhere in all the chains. Ha fashion. Qatari ownership on the east of London. Abu Dhabi ownership on the west of London. Sharia councils operating out of the mosques, out of Islamic centers, uh, so that actually operating their own system of justice. This means that women can't have access to justice. 
within those, those systems. So operating a parallel legal system, Sharia banking, honor crimes, Sharia controlled zones, open demonstration, that's freedom of speech. Street preachers, you are, we're kicking you out, but massacre those who insult Islam, that's free speech. And you know what the Muslims are saying, and many, and Brits are turning, uh, within our communities, are turning to Islam. Why? Because actually, they say that all of this mess that you're in is because it's, that's what Christianity does. Yeah? Because they see that Christianity hasn't asserted itself. Look how public the Muslims are. 70,000 Muslim men in Birmingham um, bowing, bowing down. It would be great to see 700 men, wouldn't it, in Britain, doing that publicly. The only effective response to radical atheistic humanism and radical Islam is radical Christianity. Is a revitalized, reformed church. So radical. So radical, it's love. It's sacrifice. It's service. So radical, you do not count your life. You will go, you will do anything. You, you count, you know, we're scared of a bad Twitter feed. You know, we're scared of our names. We're scared of something like that. Our forebears who took the gospel to the ends of the earth, they, they gave their lives for the gospel. Where are the men and women in this country who will give their lives for the gospel? We're so concerned about somehow being, looking nice, somehow being nice or something. I want to be loving and kind, but love is love and truth. We've got to be people that understand the times. He who wants to win the world for Jesus Christ must be prepared to come into conflict with the world for Jesus Christ. We are God's people, dominion people. We're not here to simply um, to take people to heaven when we die. That's really important. It's a matter of heaven and hell. Yes, it is. But this is, it's about now. It's about Jesus Christ is public. He is king now. He's Lord of lords, king of kings. We need a renewed vision we need to repent, we need to reform, we need to revive. And this place can start today. This place, you, I want you to take this into your prayer week next week. I want you to really ponder these things. I believe that you are the, can be the light on the hill for Bradford, that from this place we can see revival in this town. We can see mass awakenings amongst, we must love our Muslim neighbours, but expose Islam, Yes? We love the Muslims, we expose Islam. We love our, you know, the, the thing is, if you don't know any better, if you don't know any better, when you, if you're being steeped in secular atheism, you don't know any better. We've got to love these people and bring them to Jesus Christ. Because in the gospel, there is power. So, let's speak it. Let's proclaim it. Let's believe it. Let's believe that people's eternal destination Eternal destiny matters. That this nation's destiny is in the hands of God's people. It's in the hands of God's people. We are his people. I don't believe he's finished with us yet. But we must awake, we must arise, and we must pray. Thank you for this incredible opportunity of being here. This is a warm and beautiful place with vibrant people that love the Lord Jesus. Let's take it. Let's, let's make this community the community of Bradford. So thank you, Andrea, uh, a wake-up call indeed, and uh, one that is full of hope in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Let's, actually, let's pray the grace to one another after that as well. If you know the words of the grace, then join with us in prayer. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. 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 Thank you. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, please, if you stay behind for a cup of tea and coffee, that would be great. Thank you.